first of all, there is not uh, one fit for all. You know, it really depends on, for example, how the situation of the power system is in a country, the latitude and solar uptake of a country and other available potentials and uh, constraints for a given power system. But if we want to just formulate it as a general recommendation is that we see that the policies that are promoting uh, self-consumption and providing flexibility by homeowners, th these are bringing more value to the system and more private value to the consumers. Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks, the podcast where we discuss global energy issues and trends with experts from around the world. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. On this episode, I'll be talking to Benham Zakari, a research scholar with the Integrated Assessment and Climate Change Research Group based in Austria, about his co-authored paper, Policy Options for Enhancing Economic Profitability of Residential Solar Photovoltaic with Battery Energy Storage, which was recently published in the peer-reviewed journal Applied Energy. Welcome to Energy Talks, Benham. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Markham. I'm also very happy that uh, I'm today with you with the Energy Talks podcast and uh, happy to discuss and answer your questions. Now, if I understand this correctly, uh, the basic question that you and your colleagues set out to answer is, is it worth investing in solar PV with batteries at you know, a residential home or uh, an apartment building, something like that? Have I got that correct? Exactly, you got it right. The, the main question is that. So can you give us an, an overview of the study, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, probably in different countries, this is a main question for homeowners that uh, if you want to you know, uh, install some technologies on site like solar PV or batteries, there are of course different motivations, you know, it can be environmental motivations, it can be, you know, other reasons depending on the region, but definitely economic reasons are one of the biggest motivations when people thinking about a new technology. And in this study specifically, we focused on residential buildings because they have a different electricity tariff, they pay for their electricity to the grid. And we wanted to see that instead of paying to the grid and buying electricity from the grid, does it make sense to invest in technologies like solar PV and combine them with batteries and how the economics work? Is it worse or not? So the main idea of the study was that. And in the second part of the study, we looked into different policies that can encourage consumers that can encourage homeowners to invest in these technologies. Well, let, let's look at some of the economics. I checked on the uh, Lazard levelized cost of energy and they, uh, at the bottom end of the scale of a residential PV, it's about $158 a megawatt hour, which is considerably more than other forms of electricity generation. So it's, it's expensive power. And you note in the study that batteries are still fairly expensive for residential uh, applications. So could you uh, walk me through what the economics are now from your point of view and you know, where they, what needs to be done to make them economic? Probably, uh, 
you know, when we're, I, I agree with you, residential solar PV still remains one of the most expensive forms of solar PV. I mean, I'm comparing, for example, to solar farms or big, you know, utility scale solar PV. And as one can imagine, the installation cost and, you know, insurance, buying the modules makes them a little bit more expensive compared to bigger plants that benefit from economy of scale. But as we have observed, the costs are declining quite rapidly around the world. So in many regions in the world now, solar PV has reached a grid parity. So the cost is comparable with the with the fossil fuel, for example, generation, new fossil fuel power plants. Of course, we are not considering here the integration cost, which is another topic, and I don't go through that now. But as the share of solar PV increases, imagine that more households, more buildings put solar PV, then the question comes that the, what, how we can balance the generation of PV in different time of, times of the day when there is, for example, a lot of sun, there is a lot of generation, and how, for example, this can be handled, this can be balanced out. And that is also directly related to the economics because as an investor, when you pay for this technology, when you install solar panels on your roof, you want to make sure that you use as much as possible. So in this study, we, start, we, we looked into this issue that the, how much of the solar PV that your panels are generating are being used and what you can do to benefit more from that generation. Now, my understanding from your study is you found that homeowners generally use only 30 to 40% of the power that they generate from their solar panels and the rest is exported out to the grid, but that export doesn't really generate much value for the homeowner. That's true. Again, it depends on the country and on the climate, especially in Northern Hemisphere, when there is not uh, that much uh, cooling needed in the buildings, you don't use electricity for cooling. The time that you have uh, solar energy is usually during the day. And of course, during that time, people are usually at work or the electricity demand is low. So there is overproduction of solar PV. And of course, again, depending on the size of the panel, you might have uh, extra generation. And this uh, extra generation is usually, as you mentioned, exported to the grid. And the grid buys that electricity usually much lower than what we buy electricity from the grid. So in the, for example, in Europe, in the Nordic countries, in UK, this is almost one third of what we pay for electricity. So this is one motivation that the, you know, one can start to think how they can use that electricity instead of exporting to the grid. Is there a value to the grid, to the electrical system of having homeowners generating electricity and then storing it in their batteries? Is there a balancing value? Is there, is there any kind of value like that? Definitely, there, there is a value. Let me maybe a, a little bit elaborate here. You know, initially, when power systems, countries, cities encourage their citizens to install solar PV, the idea is that these 
distributed generation. This generation in the buildings will help the grid, for example, to reduce the peak demand. In some, you know, in some countries, of course, when people start to reduce some of their electricity demand on site, they reduce their burden on the grid. So this is very, you know, desirable in the beginning. But as I told you, when the share starts to grow and many people are doing the same, you know, generation at the same time, and when they don't need that solar PV, a lot of people inject that back to the grid. It, you know, creates some grid contingency problems. You know, the grid management, the grid operator needs to accommodate, accommodate the flow of electricity coming from buildings to the grid. And sometimes it creates problems in the distribution grid. So if the share of solar PV increases, like in some countries, Germany, UK, the grid is, I mean, the grid operator is happier to see if people use that electricity in their homes, instead of injecting that to the grid when the grid probably doesn't need that that much. And again, the same homeowners will need electricity in the evening and all of them at the same time want to, you know, suck electricity from the grid, which will be another problem. I, I want to introduce uh, uh, an idea here and we'll see if, if it has any application uh, for residential PV and batteries. And I'll use a, an example from British Columbia in Canada. Uh, the provincial utility, BC Hydro, is building a hydro dam. It's highly controversial. It's also very expensive. The, with the recent cost overruns, it looks like a, a megawatt hour of electricity will cost about $150, which is very expensive electricity. And so on the basis of that, economists have calculated it wouldn't be economic to go ahead with building the dam. However, when you combine that high expensive hydropower with very, very cheap intermittent renewable electricity generated by wind and solar, that adds value to the system. And then it becomes economic. So there's this idea behind, there's the, the uh, economic price of a kilowatt hour or megawatt hour of electricity. And then there's value, which is a different calculation altogether. And I noticed in your paper that you, you, know, you make the point that uh, pricing right now is on a, a kilowatt hour of electricity and it doesn't really take into account, it doesn't price in the value that the so residential solar PV and batteries bring. And then if I understand correctly, uh, Benham, then you argue for policies that changes that calculation. Uh, am I, have I got that correct? You, you got it uh, completely right. Uh, as you truly mentioned, uh, and as we know, power systems uh, are, you know, are changing, are, you know, the demand or supply of electricity, I can say, is changing from hour to hour, from second to second. So coming to this example that you mentioned, the, and speci especially looking at the residential side, usually we pay the electricity with tariffs that are either with the fixed price, or if they, they have some sort of uh, change in the price, it depends on time of the day. For example, we pay more in the evenings, we pay less 
on the weekends and on the day at daytime because the electricity is a product that can be scarce, for example, in the evening. But what we argue in this paper is that the pricing should be more flexible, should be more dynamic, more reflective of the grid needs, grid requirements. So if the grid at some hours, for example, in the evening, when everyone goes back home, there is a lot of demand for electricity, electric cars are being charged. So if there is need at that time for electricity, as you mentioned, this shouldn't be averaged out for all the people and you know, not being uh, charged or not being valued as what we pay for the cost of that electricity. So to make it more realistic, we need to have more dynamic or I would say hourly tariffs. That for example, if the consumer knows that in 6, 7 p.m. the electricity is at the highest price, they might be able to shift their demand a little bit, you know, doing things a little bit earlier or later in the late evening. So that is also what brings us to this question that uh, if we don't, you know, value the, prob the problem or the burden that the electricity consumption puts on the grid, the solutions are not also compensated accordingly. The solution, either a pumped hydro or a battery, they need to be compensated based on the contribution that they make to the grid. You make a very good point in your paper, and it's one that I run, a, uh, run into uh, quite often uh, these days in academic studies. And that is the consequences and the implications of moving from a highly centralized, um, uh, vertically integrated kind of utility and, and grid system to a very decentralized grid system. And that is a not always an easy issue or problem for uh, utilities and policymakers to design. There's a lot of experimentation going on around the world. You see it in a little bit in Canada, you see it a lot in the, in the US, and we haven't entirely cracked that nut yet. Uh, but you say that is the trend, and I think that that's fair to say. And then the question should be asked, well, if we're going to a decentralized system, how then do we maximize the value of residential rooftop solar plus batteries in making that more decentralized system work better and at a lower cost and a higher value for everybody involved, including the homeowners and the, the grid operator. Have I sort of summarized that correctly? Yeah, that's, that's a major issue, I would say. First of all, as you mentioned, the, the incumbent utility companies, they make a big part of their revenues based on trade of electricity. And by trade, I mean selling volume or kilowatt hour electricity to homeowners. So there are, of course, network fees, you know, connection fees, taxes, levies, but still a part of revenues come from kilowatt hours sold. And as you truly mentioned, again, kilowatt hour alone doesn't show the true cost of you know, electricity to the system. By, and by system, I mean generation, power dis distribution and transmission grid. So if we want to make it a fair system, because it might not be 
in favor of utility companies if residential consumers start to be imagined completely independent so then who would pay for the invested grid who would pay for you know maintaining that grid for you know for everyone that might at some point need that for emergency cases so again that brings us to this discussion that first of all the prices should reflect the reality if for example the grid in some locations needs to be reinforced needs to be you know improved this should be reflected of course it's very difficult because in some countries the grid operator cannot make differentiation between different citizens in their electricity bills so here, for example, the role of utility companies becomes more important, you know, to, to pay them for maintaining this, uh, how, how, what we can call it a common, common uh, product or common infrastructure for everyone that can use that in terms of, in times of emergency. Let's talk about an issue uh, from the utility side and why the utilities might be motivated to uh, cooperate and participate in this process. And utilities uh, worldwide tend to be very cautious and conservative uh, organizations because they're worried about uh, keeping costs low and keeping reliability high. So they don't make big changes in a hurry as a rule. But there, here's an incentive uh, for utilities to, to participate in this. And that is they are really worried about losing customers to distributed energy resources like wind and solar and, and batteries, that the, the, the costs will, will become so high for customers, particularly industrial and commercial, that they will self-generate and essentially take themselves off the grid. And then the, the utility loses a major source of income. And you do that enough times in enough places, and it becomes a real problem for the utility because then it has to spread the, its costs over a smaller number of, of customers. So the, the utility not wanting to lose those customers, uh, then it seems to me is incentivized to, to come to the table and say, okay, we're willing to cooperate with you, residential homeowners. Uh, we wanna keep you as customers and here's how we can make this work for everybody. Have I summarized that correctly? Yeah, that's true. Uh, th there are different schemes. Again, I, I admit and I, uh, I agree that it's a very complex issue. But there are some potential areas that the future utility companies can contribute, can, can jump in. As you mentioned, one of them is, for example, if we have a, a high degree of a grid independence, there are many self-consumption and users, either residential or industrial, starting to do their on-site generation, uh, the balancing can be a big issue in high renewable energy scenarios. There might be some hours without wind, some you know, hours without sun. And here, the utility companies can play a role as either aggregator, either facilitator, bringing these you know, different uh, uh, distributed generators or distributed flexibility providers, connecting them together, and making revenues from you know this type of control transaction and balancing services. Uh, here's a um, uh, another uh, party to this process that that has uh, uh, an incentive to participate, and that is government. Uh, 
and, and I, by extension, I guess, regulators. Uh, we're seeing uh, more and more uh, aggressive uh, climate policy. Uh, countries are taking their Paris Agreement emissions commitments very seriously, and they're looking into their economies for ways to reduce emissions. And of course, the power generation uh, system is a big one. Uh, and so they like the idea of residential homeowners generating their own you know, solar power and then storing it. So governments uh, put a value on that. And that argues then for them either subsidizing uh, solar PV plus battery or bringing in some other policies to encourage it. Uh, would you agree with that? I, I, I agree with that. You know, for the government the situation, the story is also related to meeting some environmental targets, meeting some renewable energy targets, you know, reducing uh, adverse impacts of uh, some fossil fuel generation technologies. So, and as you also mentioned, uh, if it comes to the grid the operator, for the grid operator, it's also important to maintain reliability in different locations in the distribution grid. So these are, again, more, or I would say different motivations for the regulator to push more for, towards renewable energy. So just to wrap up our conversation, uh, Benham, uh, it looks like we have the residential homeowners are, are in, incentivized or motivi motivated to adopt solar PV and batteries. We see that there's some value to the utilities and these independent operator, system operators. So they would come to the table there uh, because there's value there for them. We see the same with, with government uh, and regulators. And yet this process is not always a smooth one. Uh, and it of course varies by, by country and it varies by region within countries. And it, it, have you got any policy recommendations uh, for these groups uh, as you know, they're trying to ne negotiate changes to the system to facilitate solar PV and batteries. Yeah, maybe I can refer to what we found in the paper related to this uh, pol policy recommendation is that first of all, there is not uh, one fit for all. You know, it really depends on, for example, how the situation of the power system is in a country, the latitude and solar uptake of a country and other available potentials and uh, constraints for a given power system. But if we want to just formulate it as a general recommendation is that we see that the policies that are promoting self-consumption and providing flexibility by homeowners these are bringing more value to the system and more private value to the consumers. And at the same time, they are a bit more complex to implement. So for example, I make an example of, for example, California battery subsidy, which is a capital subsidy paying once upfront and then leaving the consumer what they want to do with that battery. This is a simple approach to, you know, promote a technology, but you don't have control over the operation and you cannot guarantee that the operation is optimal for the system. On the other hand, self-consumption policies require smart metering, you know, understanding how much of solar PV generation has been consumed on site, 
to you know pay to compensate for that separately from the electricity that is imported from the grid. So this is a, I would say, dilemma. Either we want to go for a policy that is more valuable for the operator, for the consumer, but it's more complex. So it requires a little bit of uh, changing, changing the mindset, changing the way we operate, changing the utilities operate. Or it might be that uh, some, you know, a little bit uh, transitioning or simpler policies would be adopted. But of course, they are not probably the best, but they can help us to get ready for the more optimal solution. I thought of a, another question I wanted to ask you, Ben. Yeah. And that is, uh, the projections are that we'll, by 2030, we will see further reductions in the cost of solar. We might get down to, you know, 10 or $15 a, a megawatt hour. Uh, we also uh, are expecting uh, battery costs uh, to fall uh, dramatically between now and, and 2030. Uh, do reductions in, the, in those costs, particularly capital cost of batteries, does that change the, your calculation significantly or is it a, a, a small change? It does change. It does change. You know, our calculation actually are based on the cost of the battery today. And we, we have shown that also under which costs uh, the consumers can reach to a break even. So after that, if the cost will be even further declined, there will be definitely net profits for the consumers, even in high latitude countries that we examine. Is there a benefit then for governments who are looking ahead and understanding that solar PV and batteries are coming down uh, to say, well, you know what, our emissions policies are too important to us. So while we recognize that subsidizing today is a higher cost than maybe in 2025 or 2030, there's still it's valuable enough to us from a policy point of view for us to subsidize. And in that effect, I mean, you really, you're kind of priming the pump even further uh, for a rapid uh, adoption of solar PV and batteries at the residential level. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I, I guess that is the trade-off to pay now to get to reach those targets faster rather than just letting the economy or market itself would do that. Yes, and I imagine we get different governments will make different calculations about how much, how important that is to them uh, as they go forward. Well, Ben, this has been fascinating. I, this is, I've wondered about um, solar PV costs uh, combined with battery and what the economics were, and you've done a very good job of explaining it. So thank you very much for this. Yeah, thanks a lot. And maybe for my last sentence, I, we did a very short note also on the electric vehicles that can be used in the future as some sort of battery, if it's possible to, you know, have the feature of vehicle to greet. Again, it's not possible now because of uh, battery issues by the car manufacturers, but in the future, we will have even more options for this home battery PV combinations. Great. Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks a lot. Thank you.